electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the Federal Reserve's credibility on the line. St. Louis Fed's Jim Bullard calling for supersized action. Inflation is much higher than we would have expected. If you don't get moderation in the second half, we'll really be in a pickle if we don't position ourselves well in the next uh, couple of months here. And the morning after the Super Bowl. Being in the stadium, that halftime show was beyond. Andrew, Becky, and Michael Santoli on the big game and the big ads with the viral misses. Wait a second, how much money are you paying to drive this traffic to your website and then you're not prepared to deal with it? And the hits. It was a funny ad, you don't want to be like Larry David. And behind the hits, crypto exchange FTX's celebrity collab. Its president, Brett Harrison, wants more investors despite the volatility. There's a lot of short-term anxiety. What we're seeing, especially on the crypto side, the private markets are booming. We think the longer-term outlook is pretty positive. Those stories plus the latest on the borders between the U.S. and Canada and Russia and Ukraine. It's Monday, February 14th. Hey, Valentines. A supersized Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Mike Santoli and Andrew, who is joining us live from outside SoFi Stadium. We're going to get to the big game in just a few minutes. But first, Andrew, good morning. Good morning. We've got a lot coming up for you uh, this morning. It has been one heck of a Super Bowl, also known as the Crypto Bowl. We're going to get into all of that. But we have the president from FTX coming on in just a little bit. Of course, we are at SoFi Stadium um, the day after. Is it really the day after? It's only six hours, six, eight hours uh, after Super Bowl 56. Uh, but we will be talking about that and so much more. We're going to get into all the details and all the news made here over the weekend. So many investors, CEOs and others here. And we'll, uh, we'll bring you some behind the scenes news in just a moment. We do have one more big guest to tell you about this morning. We're going to bring you an exclusive interview with St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard. Uh, this was the man who rocked the markets last week, um, talking about how the Fed might actually be raising rates more quickly, at least if they were doing what he would like to see done. He is a voting member of the FOMC. And again, it was his commentary that really had a bigger impact on the markets than the numbers that we saw themselves. Higher than expected CPI, higher than expected inflation numbers. Numbers. Um, that's probably not what shook the markets because you did see markets kind of stabilize after they digested those numbers. But it was the comments from Jim Bullard that really did have a, a lot of concern on the markets after that. We're going to be speaking with him coming up in just a little bit. Markets are rocked once again this morning. The international community spent the weekend bracing for potential military action on the Ukrainian-Russian border. The U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told CBS yesterday that a Russian invasion into Ukraine could happen any day now. We have seen over the course of the past 10 days a dramatic acceleration in the buildup of Russian forces and the disposition of those forces in such a way that they could launch a military action essentially at any time. They could do so this coming week. Uh, But of course, 
it still awaits the go order. President Biden spoke over the weekend to both Russian President Vladimir Putin and Ukraine's president, promising that the U.S. and its allies would respond quickly and decisively if there is a threat from Russia into Ukraine. European markets started today showing softness on concerns about potential military action. But headlines developed while Squawk Box was on the air that Russia's foreign minister reportedly suggested to Vladimir Putin that Moscow use diplomacy to obtain security concessions from the West. Here's what that news sounded like. Breaking news just in the last 20 minutes. This is very big. The future is turning around completely on comments coming from Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov. This appears to be a bit of a diplomatic window opening here with Lavrov saying that he proposes to continue the work on the diplomatic front, that the United States has put forth concrete measures for what he says should be there, proposals on reducing military risks. Now, he he does go on to say that uh, this can't be a continuous uh, series of negotiations, that he'll be looking to see what other uh, EU countries have to say as well on this. Maybe the market able to focus, guys, a little bit more on this idea of inflation rather than what's necessarily going to be happening on the Ukrainian border. Just to rewind a little bit from where, where we came from, obviously a little bit of relaxation on this front this morning. We were about flat for the week, uh, you know, mid, midway through Friday of last week, the S&P 500. Then it had this air pocket after we got those headlines on Ukraine-Russia. Just kind of a one more thing to worry about kind of reaction. So So we're still down, you know, 1.8 percent. That was about what we lost for the week as a whole. And that all happened on Friday afternoon. So that's the position we're working from right here. Uh, And as you suggest, I mean, it just seems as if as long as things are not kind of going to get worse initially and then we're back to being concerned with where rates going to go, this decelerating economy, uh, the push of of earnings from the generally positive side uh, and just exactly how much risk do people feel comfortable carrying when you still have this, uh, you know, hanging over the markets, Andrew. Hey, Mike, explain this, though, because when 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 the news first crossed, you actually saw the Dow not just rebound, but rebound and go up. I believe it got as high as about up, up to about maybe it was 80 points higher, maybe even up to 100 points higher. Then it immediately uh, came down again. Do you think people thought misread the headline originally thinking that maybe a deal was in the offing? What do you think that was? I don't think I wouldn't say it was a misreading. I just feel as if it was if you see uh, if you were already kind of out there selling, you just ease back. And I think that there's all these automated responses in the market. Frankly, this is not the key swing factor in markets, most likely. Uh, you know, you did see oil come down a little bit on this news as well. But it, so it's, I think it's one of these things that, you know, at the margin, it was not helpful last week right. to have this as yet another thing to worry about. So I wouldn't get too caught up in, you know, exactly the, the cadence of how the Dow futures traded in response to it, except to say, hey, everyone knows we got a big Fed-related interview coming up. Everyone knows there's lots of other things to worry about uh, at this point. Right. And maybe we'll get some clarity on those things, because, as I said, the S&P was flat by, on the week mid, midway through Friday, even after we absorbed all the talk about possible additional rate uh, hikes and after we've been doing it for months. And, and you know, we had the 10 year yield above uh, 2 percent for a little bit. Yeah, you do still see in Europe there is significant concern when it comes to Germany and France. Those markets each down by more than 2 percent, France down by 2.25 percent. Obviously, it has a bigger impact on those countries, anything that might happen on the Ukrainian border, um, particularly with what happens with, you know, heating, uh, the ability to heat if uh, any natural gas gets cut off from Russia to those countries. Um, but, but these words from Sergei Lavrov really kind of easing things, at least off the biggest tensions that we have seen today. Thank you.
the busiest U.S.-Canada border crossing reopened late yesterday after protests against COVID restrictions closed it for almost a week. The crossing carries about 25% of all trade between the U.S. and Canada. Police in Windsor, Ontario said more than two dozen people were peacefully arrested, seven vehicles towed and five were seized as officers cleared the last demonstrators from the area around the bridge. In Ottawa, the mayor said the city has struck a deal with protesters who have jammed downtown streets for more than two weeks and they will move out of residential areas in the next 24 hours. But the truckers said they would not be forced from Wellington Street. That's the site of Canada's legislative buildings. And out of the buzz of the morning, the Rams victory in last night's Super Bowl. Let's start with the game. The Rams engineering a 79-yard drive. This was late in the fourth quarter, culminating in Cooper Cup touchdowns catch that, that then the Rams defense clinched that victory their seven sack of the Bengals quarterback Cup was named Super Bowl MVP this is one of the few Super Bowls by the way I mean it was it was like a nail biter from the beginning to the end but let's also talk commercials uh, because this was a Super Bowl known as the Crypto Bowl Coinbase making headlines this after airing what seemed like actually a pretty simple ad with a QR code that just bounced around the screen like a DVD screensaver. Some people thought there was something wrong with their TV. The code links to a sign-up page, giving users $15 in free Bitcoin. But as you might imagine, shortly after airing it, the app reportedly crashed for some users, while others were shown an error screen on the landing page. Coinbase tweeted that they saw more traffic than they've ever encountered. They had to actually throttle <laughs> traffic for a few minutes. Wait a uh, second. Former AOL CEO Tim Armstrong. Yeah. I mean, that, that is like the craziest thing ever. How much money are you paying to drive this traffic to your website and then you're not prepared to, to deal with it? I, I mean, that's... you know what? It, but in many ways, it, in many ways, it actually worked because two things happened. First of all, we should we should mention it wasn't actually the Coinbase site that went down. They'd actually built a separate site to deal with of what they knew was going to be an overflow in traffic effectively. And in part because we're now talking about this story uh, there's even more people that continue to flow. I, to I the guess if, if you believe uh, that they, no I, bad, no publicity is bad publicity, I guess that's a good thing. But I don't know. It also feels well, like if you miss know, your opportunity, if somebody's you, willing to give you a try, a new try, and you miss your opportunity, it's like that moment's here and gone. I think they lost. I think they lost about 10 minutes uh, on the site, and mm -hmm. and the over the effectively the overflow site was dealing with that. But as, as I said, I think this is a story for better or worse. In a, in a strange way, it also extends the story. Um, by the way, someone extending that story, it was former AOL CEO Tim Armstrong. He took to Instagram. As you know, he started Flowcode. Great ad, he wrote, bad crash, needed TV-optimized codes. Maybe a little plug for uh, his own business. Coinbase is awesome, more awesome, with a code that wouldn't have crashed. And he posted, as you might imagine, a Flowcode. <laughs> and speaking of crypto... Um, take a look, because uh, Larry David's commercial for FTX generating a lot, a lot of buzz. I call it the wheel. Hmm. I don't think so. What does it do? It rules. Yeah, so does a bagel, okay? A bagel you can eat. One of the worst ideas I've ever heard. Hmm. That was my favorite ad. It, it, it was a funny ad. It was a funny ad. It's all about missing out. We've talked on this program about, you know, has the train left the station? Yeah. And here's a guy who repeatedly says, no, 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 this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. And basically the, the message of the ad is don't miss out on this bad idea. You don't want to be like Larry David. So it was a funny ad and I knew it was crypto, but I have to say I didn't remember which crypto one did it. 
got it. So, okay. But it was, it, okay. it was effective way, when it came to crypto. I, know, I, I would say it's not just missing out. They, they were trying to say crypto is one of these major, you know, points of progress in the history of human civilization. It wasn't just like you can make some money. Larry David saying, now nah, the wheel, I don't think it's going to work. You know, yeah. so I think that was that's the clever part of it is to sort of say it's not just about, you know, make a buck uh, and whether you believe that or not, FTX trying to place itself in that in that position. We should mention, and I know we will probably in a little bit later when we talk more advertising, but a lot of people comparing this Super Bowl to the Super Bowl in the year 2000, Pets.com, 20 yeah. percent of those ads back then uh, were in this sort of dot com mold, more than 20 percent, I believe, this time are in the crypto mold. So we'll, we'll discuss all that. But then there's this, because there's a lot of speculation that came out of what took place last night, and I ran into uh, to Jeff Bezos over the weekend as well. But there's an image posted by Jeff Bezos' girlfriend, Lauren Sanchez, uh, showing Bezos. Where was he sitting? He was sitting in Roger Goodell's box. Why is that important? Well, there's $2.5 billion at stake over the Sunday night ticket. And uh, Disney has bid, as have others, Apple in, in the mix. But between some comments made uh, by um, one of uh, the NFL uh, officials last week about streaming services trying to get not just the Sunday night ticket, but NFL films uh, to be almost creating like streaming documentary documentaries and also as a platform for the NFL network. And it's not just about Sunday Ticket. Um, we're looking for strategic partners for our owned and operated assets, which include the NFL network and the Red Zone channel. Um, we're talking about some pretty interesting partnerships with NFL Films, so we can increase the NFL Films' presence on streaming platforms. A lot of people looking to the fact that it wasn't just Jeff Bezos sitting next to Roger Goodell, but his entire family was there <laughs> uh, with Goodell, and I don't think there were others uh, from the other networks sitting in sight. So, but they have uh, Thursday night, of, right? They have the Thursday night ticket coming people, up on Amazon. I saw the ad for that last night. Yes, they yeah. do. They are, they already have the Thursday night, but but the big but the big. Sort of speculation now is what happens uh, to Sunday night, of course. And then the last piece, and I don't know if we've, we've talked about it yet, um, of course, Eminem taking a knee. There's a huge controversy about this because Puck had reported uh, earlier on Sunday that the NFL had actually told him not to do that and actually instructed him and Dr. Dre during the halftime show not to do anything against their supposed rules. He did it. Uh, now the NFL uh, refuting that report, effectively saying they knew it was going to happen, that they had never instructed him not to do that. So uh, a little bit of a back and forth. And, of course, that has been uh, a huge issue, of course, since Colin Kaepernick and uh, had huge implications for sponsors. Pepsi, obviously, advertising this uh, this halftime report. I have to halftime show. I should say, by the way, being in the stadium, that halftime show was beyond i don't know i don't know what it looked like on tv well, I, mean, I, I, I do know what it looked like on tv but i mean it, was it looked it looked cool beyond. on tv but I, the only thing i was wondering is when they all when they were in the houses like three quarters of the stadium couldn't see what they were doing that was the only thing i thought was a little weird you're blocked off it's great for the television I, uh, cameras true Dep depending where you were sitting you, you i think if you were on the right wrong angle it would probably be hard to see in the boxes but there were screens everywhere yeah and there was such an electricity to it and this was such an homage if you will to la uh, Dr. Dre, we should say, putting up his own money, spent about $6 million of his own money to put that show on. Huh. And um, a lot of people calling it either the best or some people talk about it being the second best halftime show ever. I think people think the first, the, the, the top halftime show was uh, Prince. How does Eminem fit in in the L.A. So. theme? That was the only thing that, I mean, I was glad to see him there, but. 
Well, he's it's a, a Dr. Dre production. Question, I think that's question. the connection. He's, he's a Dr. Yeah. Dre guy. Yeah. He's a Dr. Dre guy. I mean, Dr. Dre put him on the map, so. Can we just go back to the game for a minute? Because I have to say, I was, um, great game. I was a little disappointed. I picked out orange to wear before the game started last night, so I figured I'd go yep. ahead and wear it in anyway. Um, and you, was really hoping and you were, too, you were good up until to. the last yeah. two minutes. Yeah. I was just really hoping for Joe Burrow. I think he's going to be around. He's going to be a great guy to be watching through the NFL with this. Congrats to L.A. Um, you know, congratulations on what they said and what was out there, and I'm, I'm happy for them too. But I, I was a little disappointed because Cincinnati played so well for such a long time. Um, we'll see. I guess they have yeah. another day. Yeah, good storylines on both sides, though, I have to say, uh, on both teams. Yeah. Next on Squawk Pod, the inflation fear and the Fed officials' comments that spooked the markets. St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard on the central bank's next move. The inflation that we're seeing is very bad for low and moderate income households. Real wages are declining. People are unhappy. Consumer confidence is declining. This is not a good situation. We have to reassure people that we're going to defend our inflation target and we're going to get inflation back to 2%. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Inflation, inflation, inflation. We sound like a broken record the past few weeks. The Federal Reserve, as you've likely heard, is planning to hike interest rates a lot by the end of this year, with the first hike probably coming in the next month. And the timing here is important, since last week the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics revealed that inflation on the cost of consumer goods is the highest it's been in four decades. After that hot data release just a few days ago, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard said he was ready for a supersized rate hike soon, 100 basis points by July 1st. The markets, already shaky from the data itself, were spooked. The markets here. Federal Reserve of St. Louis President James Bullard being quoted right now in headlines. CNBC's senior economics reporter Steve Leisman had to know more. Here he is with Becky Quick, Mike Santoli, and Andrew Ross Sorkin sitting outside SoFi Stadium in California. We are pleased to welcome uh, St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard uh, to CNBC. Good morning, uh, President Bullard. Uh, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me. Let me uh, get right to it here, uh, President Bullard. Y- y- following your remarks last week, which made quite a stir, as you know, futures markets priced pretty firmly in a 50 basis point rate hike in March. Was that a correct interpretation of what you were saying? Yeah, Steve, as you know, we got the uh 
hot CPI report uh, last Thursday, I guess, and I think, um, you know, my interpretation was uh, not so much that report alone, but the last four reports taken in tandem have indicated that inflation is broadening and possibly accelerating in the U.S. economy. So I shaded up my position, uh, and I'm just one person on the committee, but I, I shaded up my position to say I'd like to see 100 basis points worth of uh, movement on the policy rate by July 1. So uh, I also said I would uh, defer to the chair exactly uh, how to go about that, and, and he's very good at uh, managing the committee and everything else that goes with this. But I do think we need to front load more of uh, our planned uh, removal of accommodation than we would have previously. We've been surprised to the upside on inflation. This is a lot of inflation in the U.S. economy, 7.5% on the headline CPI. These are numbers that Alan Greenspan never saw. Uh, they haven't occurred in 40 years. So uh, our credibility is on the line here. And we do have to react to data. However, I think we can do it in a way that's uh, organized and not disruptive to markets. We're only removing accommodation, so it's still an accommodative policy as we go through these initial rate hikes. Uh, they're rather cheap, actually, given that unemployment's down at 4% and the economy's expected to grow, let's say, 35 to 4% this year. So I think my position is, is a good one, and I'll, I'll try to convince my colleagues that it's a good one. Um, you know, some said the January inflation report was really not much worse than expected, actually just a couple tenths uh, no, higher. No, let me push back. I'm pushing back. A- I'm pushing back on that. Let's take the four reports together since October, because uh, it's really October, November, December, January that has really... Uh, called into question any idea that this uh, inflation was naturally going to moderate in in any reasonable time frame uh, without the Fed uh, taking at least some action. So uh, it's that, I think, you know, sure, any particular report is, uh, you know, a few tenths here, a few tenths there. But the, the big picture is that inflation is much higher uh, than we would have expected, let's say, six months ago or nine months ago and certainly 12 months ago. And so we've been surprised to the upside. And if you look at the Atlanta Fed's uh, uh, inflation tracker, uh, it's all turned red. So it doesn't really matter how you measure inflation. All the different measures right. are way above their uh, norms. President Bill, you're like one of those contestants on Jeopardy who answers the question uh, before the uh, full answer is is read. Because because what I was going to say was that um, they didn't expect uh, much improvement in January and also that the market has already priced in a lot of Fed tightening out there, 100 basis points on the two year. And that really going faster or or or, or speeding up the the, the, the rate hikes is not going to bring more tightening into the market or solve the inflation problem before the expectation that it comes down later this year. Is there already a lot of tightening in and does going faster really make that much of a difference to how much uh, you well, change the inflation trajectory? Yeah, uh, Steve, I mean, I love that argument. I have made that argument. I thought I was the one that made that argument. So the two year is up substantially uh, since, let's say, last October. Uh, when this process right. kind of got started. And 
Uh, that's great. That's helping us a lot. That means that there is some uh, removal of accommodation already in the market, so that's great. But still, the Fed has to follow through and ratify those expectations uh, that have been built into uh, the two-year. And uh, if we don't, then it, it makes it appear that we're not defending our 2% inflation target and that we're not trying to put uh, to make sure that inflation is coming under control. I think the inflation that we're seeing is very bad for low and moderate income households. Real wages are declining. Uh, people are unhappy. Consumer confidence is declining. This is not a good situation. We have to reassure people that uh, we're going to defend our inflation target and we're going to get inflation back to 2%. President Bullard, a, a very large investor I spoke with last uh, last week said the Fed put, the extent to which the Federal Reserve might step in to rescue the stock market is either non-existent right now or way out of the money. Is it accurate to say that given that the Fed is trying to tighten financial conditions, that it's less concerned right now with a decline in the stock market or that it would take a more serious decline that prompt a reversal in policy? Yeah, I mean, I've never been a believer in the Fed put, and you and I have talked about it in the past. Uh, the, the stock market and the Fed are both looking at the same thing, which is the future of the U.S. economy. And if the future doesn't look very good, both, uh, you know, the rates tend to go down, but the market tends to go down. And if the economy is looking good, then both tend to be higher. So I, th I think people have interpreted that as um, as, a, as a Fed put, but I wouldn't interpret it that way. And I also think that this year I'm still expecting, uh, you know, 35 to 4% real GDP growth. And I think Omicron is fading here, so you're going to get a second sort of reopening of the U.S. economy. I think corporate earnings will be just fine, so I'm not really seeing any threat uh, to the market at this point. So that's why I say that these <clears throat> initial rate hikes and balance sheet runoff are relatively cheap at this point from, from my point of view as a policymaker. Uh, we're, we're not putting uh, a restrictive policy in place. We're just removing some of the accommodation, and we're doing so in the face of a still very strong economy, a very strong labor market. Uh, it's already, as you just pointed out, it's already kind of priced into the two years, so everything's already been done here, so we just need to follow through and, and get going. President Bullard, it's Becky. We, we speak to a lot of investors, and many of them in recent months have been pretty critical of the Fed, saying that they think the Fed is really behind things, behind the eight ball, that they should have been doing some of these things sooner. I, I just wonder, given your hawkish commentary, if you think that's the case, too, is the Fed behind where it should be? Well, I've been trying to push the committee, as you know, Becky, did we do this last summer, I think. Uh, since last summer, I've been trying to... Um, uh, move to a little faster uh, uh, pace of activity here at the Fed. Um, I, I will say on behalf of the committee that uh, we don't come out of a pandemic every day, and we didn't come out of the pandemic quite as cleanly as you might have thought, let's say, in the first two weeks of July of 2021, when deaths per day per million in the U.S. and Europe and, and the U.K., I believe, are all below one. It looked like vaccines had done their job and it looked like the uh, pandemic was over. Since then, we've had two more waves. Uh, so I think that has complicated matters. And we've also had an extended discussion about how to handle the balance sheet uh, and how to get re uh, reduction in the, or I, I'm sorry, how to 
uh, taper the asset purchases. Uh, in retrospect, we probably could have moved that up uh, faster and got that over with uh, faster. But actually, the committee came to my position on this. And now we're going to finish in March. And even that maybe is looking like that wasn't fast enough now. But that just shows you how quickly the data are moving, uh, how much is happening, and that we're in an environment where we we can't just plot along sort of meeting by meeting and do a little bit here, a little bit there. We're, we're going to have to react to data and uh, and be more nimble in this environment than we would have had to have been in the 10 years prior to the pandemic. Hey, Jim, it's Andrew here. Uh, I'm in L.A. and I was here for the Super Bowl weekend. I talked to a whole bunch of CEOs who actually seem to think that the supply chain may have actually si- is silently, if you will, getting better than people understand. And in fact, some were worried even that, that inventories may be building up in certain places. I was hearing this uh, from folks in the shipping and logistics business, as well as the container business. And I, I just wonder whether you think that that is going to play out in a way that actually may may make things more complicated in the second half of the year. <clears throat> well, we'll certainly keep an eye on it. Uh, we certainly got a big inventory contribution in fourth quarter uh, GDP. Most people have marked down first quarter GDP, the current quarter, because of Omicron. But I, I think you're going to get this reopening uh, effect uh, again in the second quarter and third quarter as Omicron fades. That would be my base case. I understand there's risks and everything. Uh, the, I would say the companies we talk to and the input I'm getting is a little more uh, 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 questioning whether the, uh, a lot of these supply constraints will ease really all that much in 2022. The, the typical comment that you hear is that uh, this is going to last all the way through 2022 and into 2023. So I'm not so sure. Uh, Maybe you're talking to different uh, uh, companies, and I certainly welcome the input on this. Uh, Also, I think companies are very innovative, and they're they're more than capable of thinking of ways to work around, substitute, change their product mix, uh, do all kinds of different things to stay profitable. President Bullard, just to maybe focus a little more on that, really specifically, how much of the inflation that we're currently seeing do you think is going to moderate more or less on its own? uh, And how much do you think uh, is going to be left for the Fed to target? It would seem something happened relatively recently to to kind of kick up a sense of urgency of how fast the Fed needs to go. I thought it was just a couple of weeks ago you thought that a half point uh, rate hike in March didn't necessarily help out the Fed very much. Yeah, I guess I've uh, taken on board these uh, these inflation the the sequence of four inflation reports here and uh, uh, become a little bit more worried uh, that we're not moving fast enough. And I only shaded my position a little bit uh, from three hikes before July first to four hikes before July first. So I still want the balance sheet runoff to get going in the in the second quarter. I see no reason why we can't uh, finish the debate on that and get that program uh, implemented. The balance sheet is uh, uh, up uh, almost $5 trillion from where it was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we don't need that anymore. We're still buying assets even at, uh, today. Uh, it is going to end very shortly here, but uh, we need to allow the runoff to start to occur uh, very soon here. That will take back some of the accommodation that we've provided. Um, we've got a long ways to go if we actually want to be restrictive 
Uh, and that's the concern is that you'll get to the second half of 2022, quite a bit of inflation in the first half, which already looks like it's baked in. And then if you don't get moderation in the second half, uh, we'll really, really be in a pickle if we don't uh, position ourselves well in the next uh, couple of months here. President Bullard, one of the arguments that's made for those who want to take a steadier, even slower approach is geopolitical uncertainties. When you look at the situation, the possibility of war in Ukraine, does that give you pause for how fast the Federal Reserve should be increasing interest rates? Well, geopolitical events like that are, are always uh, uh, very important events for the U.S., but we, we actually have seen fighting in Ukraine previously. So you could look to that example to see uh, how much you think it's going to impact the U.S. economy. Uh, I'd say for Europe, it's uh, probably more of a concern and, and more near-term concern. But uh, we have seen fighting in this area of the world uh, in the past. Uh, I do think it's uh, quite an important foreign policy issue, but I'm not seeing it necessarily as a, a, a leading macroeconomic issue, at least at this point. I understand there's risks and uh, there could be escalation and so on. Sure. Jim, you, you've been a, a leader in talking about balance sheet reduction. I just want to tell you, our Fed survey sees $500 billion this year with an assumption that you begin sometime in the summer, and plus or minus a trillion next year. I want to know, can you tell me, is that in line with your thinking about the pace? And just to add on to that, are, are, you are in favor of using the balance sheet to steepen the curve. Is that correct? Uh, I'd like to get that effect, if we can, um, out of the balance sheet runoff. As you know, uh, we're skewed somewhat to the short end, and people have been talking about that. Um, the committee has not uh, really uh, come to any agreement on tactics here, and, and the chair has said that there'll be further discussions at uh, upcoming meetings. Uh, so I think uh, this is all in the works. Uh, uh, I guess what I'm thinking right now, at least as sitting here today, is that uh, I'd like to at least get passive runoff started in the second quarter, and I'd like to also have um, some plan B in our pocket where we could use asset sales if necessary uh, to speed up the pace of uh, runoff of the size of the balance sheet. Now, exactly how that would work uh, is an open question, but uh, it's that part that could put more upward pressure on the longer end of the yield curve than we would get from just uh, passive runoff. But I'd be happy at this point uh, to start with passive runoff. Hey, Jim, you don't get to see the reaction in the markets uh, while you're talking. I've, I've been watching pretty closely here, and there was a lot of action in the markets earlier this morning just on concerns about what would happen with Russia and Ukraine. You had the Dow futures down by about 300 points, managed to stabilize on comments coming out from the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov, suggesting that diplomacy is still an option. We actually pushed into positive territory for the Dow and the other futures. Since you've been talking, the Dow futures have dropped again. We're now down by about 67 basis points, and I've been watching the 10-year yield, too. We went from 1.91% earlier this morning to 1.982% right now. So that's a pretty significant move, too. Uh, last week, you caused a lot of reaction in the markets, too. Is that something you're paying attention to? Is it just kind of an incidental issue where you're talking about your feelings with this? Do you look at the markets and think that there are some things out of whack or think, you know, 
the equities market has been too high, the yields for, for treasuries have been too low. How does that kind of play in hand in hand? Because we get a lot of people trying to, to kind of guess that as they're listening to these things too. Uh, well, <clears throat> markets move a, a, a lot and, and they are concerned about Fed policy. I've always tried to be a straight shooter on this and try to get the best policy we can for the country and for the economy. I think the path I'm mapping out is uh, a good one, given the information that we have to, as of today. And, uh, and, you know, maybe it does involve some uh, repricing, but generally speaking, uh, the U.S. valuation of the U.S. corporate sector and U.S. equities have been uh, very strong through the pandemic. And I just made an argument a few minutes ago that I don't see any reason why that can't continue during uh, 2022 here, even if the Fed uh, decides to front load some of the uh, removal of accommodation that we were previously considering. Jim, is your thought that the Fed policy has to slow the economy down a trend, uh, or are you still okay with above-trend growth? And kind of one other add-on question, we have 11 million job openings. Wouldn't it be accurate to say that any Fed tightening would really just decrease job openings, not really decrease jobs in the economy? Yeah, the job openings greatly exceed by millions the, the number of unemployed. So uh, from that perspective, we have one of the strongest labor markets uh, that we've ever seen. Certainly since that data has been collected, we've got the unemployment rate at 4%, uh, and we've got projections for rapid GDP growth in 2022. So I'm projecting that the unemployment rate uh, may go below 3% uh, this year. Uh, that would be uh, one of the best in the post-war era. So uh, we've really got the uh, strong labor market here, and I think the focus has to be on the inflation side and not so much on the, on the labor side. And I, I'm sorry, I got a little off on labor markets there. So direct me back to your question here. Well, uh, we, we have to go, Jim, but real quick, is wage inflation a reason why you think the Fed ought to move more quickly? Have you seen it already? Is it coming? Uh, everybody I talk to is scrambling for workers, and I expect to see that uh, reflected in wages. And in the inflation report as well? Uh, oh, yeah. It will, it will show up there as well. Jim, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Jim Bullard, president of the St. Louis Federal Reserve and a frequent guest on Squawk Box here. Next on Squawk Pod, the rise of blockchain with the decline of Bitcoin and a Super Bowl ad that's got everyone talking about crypto. Brett Harrison of the crypto exchange FTX US. Assets like Ether, other alternative proof of work, proof of stake asset assets like Solana and these other alternative coins are all picking up in terms of total market cap. So I think over time, we're just gonna see less and less of the total market share come from just one asset. A market so big and a super ad that's pretty, pretty, pretty. Well, Larry David is trending right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. 
See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today, the day after the Super Bowl, Andrew Ross Sorkin is outside SoFi Stadium in California, and he's still enjoying this commercial with Larry David. Hey, Catherine, what's cooking? We're putting the man on the moon. Are you out of your mind? I can't even get tuna without celery. Nobody's going to the moon, ever. Why not? It's too far. It's far. It's really far. It's far. Can you guess it? It was for FTX, the crypto exchange. Here's Andrew. Cryptocurrency companies have been a big presence right here at the Super Bowl weekend. Uh, From advertising to Super Bowl parties, and joining us right now is FTX U.S. President Brett Harrison, who has woken up early with us on the West Coast. Nice to see you. Congratulations on this ad, which is really remarkable. Um, I want to talk about Bitcoin. Just tell us, though, briefly, how did you get Larry David to do this? It was a long story, but we were looking to have someone big do our ad, and we reached out to him. We knew he'd probably be skeptical at first, but... He heard the concept, and he was just super into it. And if you didn't get him, was there anybody else you thought who could play this role? The whole ad took shape after we worked with him. I think if we went with someone else, we would have to make a completely separate new ad with new content and everything. Uh, Dare I ask about this? We're calling this the Crypto Bowl. Uh, You saw Coinbase had an ad. Probably cost a lot less than your ad. That's true. For them to manufacture, if you will. That's true. Because it just had that code. Uh, The site went down. What did you think of that, though? I think it's fun to juxtapose the two ads. There's a bit of healthy ad cynicism in the Coinbase ad, really going direct to retail. But we think it's a good showcase of the personalities of the two companies. I made the argument that the Coinbase's site going down might actually get them more publicity. It's true. I think Becky was a little concerned that they probably lost access to some of the people who were putting their phones to the screen. Sure. What's the right answer? A bit of both. I think they probably got a huge surge in traffic. It probably was indicative that their ad did work. And so... Uh, think of you know, we applaud them for that. Well, what's your sense of the sentiment here? Uh, we were talking about it earlier. I had spent a lot of time, as you did, talking to all sorts of CEOs, people like David Solomon and David Zaslav and David Tepper, talking about the three Davids, yeah. uh, all, all here, and so many others, Jeff Bezos and the like. Do you feel like there is a, a view that things are positive or negative? I think there's a lot of short-term anxiety, seeing what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, just the general slowdown of markets in the last, let's say, one to two months. Um, But what we're seeing, especially on the crypto side, the private markets are booming. People are investing a ton into this space. And so we think the longer term outlook is pretty positive. But you think private markets just in crypto or private markets across the board? Because private markets should be correlated to some degree to public market valuations. In general, true. In crypto specifically, though, it is something else. Well, can we say, can we talk about that? Sure. Is it something else, though? Because... One of the things that we've always talked about is Bitcoin and some of these other currencies are not supposed to be correlated to the markets, and yet they seem to be very correlated to the markets. I think in risk-off situations, everything is correlated. All correlations go to one when people are generally afraid of what's happening in the market. I think in other situations, there seems to be idiosyncratic vol between cryptocurrencies and more traditional assets like stocks and bonds. Do you have a take on Bitcoin Uh, at $42,000, I think, right now this morning? Typically, as the exchange operator, we try not to take a specific take on 
on uh, Bitcoin's price moves exactly. But we think that the general long-term outlook Let is Let me ask positive. you this, though. Right now, in terms of buying and selling, do you see more action still around Bitcoin? Is Ethereum picking up? I mean, we're... How do you see this playing itself out? Sure. So we talk about Bitcoin dominance, which is the percentage of the total you know, market cap and market moves coming from Bitcoin. Right. That has been going down steadily over time. Assets like Ether, other alternative proof of work, proof of stake asset assets like Solana and these other alternative coins are all picking up in terms of total market cap. So I think over time, we're just going to see less and less of the total market share come from just one asset. From, from one asset. From just one Bitcoin alone. And in terms of institutional support, that's yep. always the other question. Sure. I mean, this was focused, obviously, on retail. Right. You, you hear chatter constantly that, you know, pension funds and others are going to get into the space. Yep. But they haven't really yet. It's true. So what do you think is really happening behind the scenes? We have hundreds of conversations with pension funds and family offices, large banks that want to get into crypto. All of their employees are privately into crypto, but the actual companies themselves aren't yet. It's a question of compliance and regulation, and many are waiting to pull the trigger for there to be more regulatory clarity in the U.S., especially around the exchanges like ours. So what do you think that looks like, though? I think it looks like a unified market oversight regime for U.S. cryptocurrency exchanges, Probably some sort of combination of oversight between the CFTC and the SEC to come up with some unified regime, some license platform that's not just the state-by-state -state money transmitter regime that right. the current cryptocurrency. But if this are is under. so preordained, if you will, meaning that this is eventually going to happen, if, if if you think it's 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 going to happen, yep. you would think that they would want to buy in now. These organizations are also they're either very heavily regulated or they're larger, older, slower moving. And they want to be the last to get in once everyone else has sort of proven that this is here to stay. But we're seeing all of the other largest institutions, the big trading firms of the world, are all have been in this for years. Right. And they've been able to profit very well off and of that. And then the last piece is, what is the defensive moat? Because one of the things that I think about is, if you believe that all of the, the traditional Wall Street firms want to be in your space. Sure. Um, and obviously, I have trading arms already. Yep. What, what's, what's the piece that you have? What, doesn't, what makes it such that they can't just come in and just do this themselves? I think the biggest piece that we've built that's difficult to replicate is all of the blockchain interfacing technology to actually custody cryptocurrency, to do it well and do it safely. is something that it's not the hardest thing in the world, but you really need to build up that expertise over time. I think that's not something that investment banks are going to be spending their time you know, working on from a technological perspective. They're going to partner with someone like us right. who has really built up that expertise what in that think, area. What do you think is the final biggest risk to both your business but also to the crypto world right now? Other, either volatile events or noise from other kinds of scams just sort of spooking investors away from the technology itself and not realizing that the technology itself has long-run potential for disrupting financial services, real estate, law, art, music, instead of just seeing this as a speculative asset that, you know, that people are just pitching for no good reason. Um, if all of this works, would you short the visas and MasterCards and PayPals and Stripes of the world? I wouldn't because I think they're all going to be partnering with companies like us to try to boost their business through blockchain technology. We know that's true for places like Visa. They're very interested in getting into crypto and blockchain technology on their network.
Brent, it's good to see you. Thank you thank again you. for waking up early. And thank you for bringing us that fun ad. Yes, absolutely. I will be back in New York tomorrow. Mike, thank you. Becky, see you in the morning. And that's the pod for today. Thank you for listening. Please let us know what you think of Squawk Pod. If you have a minute, leave us a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Happy Valentine's Day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 